Welcome to the Unschooling the Mind podcast, where we unravel all of the beliefs and deep conditioning that has been programmed into our mind through decades of infiltration by institutions, media, and governments of whom we no longer trust. In an attempt to heal ourselves and free our children from the same circumstances, we bravely face the rabbit holes that we have been incessantly warned not to explore. My name is Tasha Fishman, and I was a regular Matrix mummy previously trapped on planet mind control like everyone around me until the absurdity of the 2020 mandates and public health measures which hit the school system. I took my kids running and never looked back. Unschooling them and myself has led to a new reality. I was forced to shed my old beliefs and birth a new version of myself, a former recovering people pleaser all the way to the Canadian trucker convoy. I didn't know this was in the cards, but here I am today as an unschooling advocate, public speaker, and the founder of the International Unschooling the Mind private community. My life is unrecognizable today, but I wouldn't change a thing. So let's get into it, friends, and unschool our minds together. Yay. Okay. Welcome, Dana Martin, to the Unschooling the Mind podcast and community. We're so happy that you're here. This is actually the second time that you've joined us. Thank you for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. This is so exciting. Hi, everybody. <laughs> it is exciting. Did I ever tell you that my name is used to my maiden name is Martin? Oh, I didn't know that. Did I ever tell you that? I was like, uh-huh. yeah, it was Tasha Martin. So, <laughs> oh. so I share a lot with people and on many, many podcasts about how I landed into unschooling. And I always tell the funny story about how I first saw you. And <laughs> it was divine intervention because, um, I was really struggling at the time with my three solid days of trying to homeschool that turned into an epic fail. And through some divine intervention, I saw you speaking with uh, Kelly Brogan on a podcast. (laughs) And after everyone just went through the madness of COVID and trying to work at home while having kids on laptops, and I went through all of that for the three months, three different kids on different laptops in different grades. And there you were. And you said to her, oh, I live with my crew and they're everywhere. And so if they need me, I'll have to press pause and I'll come back to you. And I just remember being like, what did she just say? After the entire world was shushing their kids and throwing like, you know, pre-made lunches at them and trying to hide in their offices or their closets to work online. And I thought, wow, what, what a level of respect that she just showed for her children. And I don't know how to get there, but I want more of that. And that was my introduction to you. I had no idea that you were an author, an educator, an advocate. I didn't even know if unschooling was one word or two, if it was legal, but there you were. So yes, thank you for being a lighthouse for me in dark times. And do you remember that interview? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to remember saying that because I've said that so many times for interviews. <laughs> I've, um, it's just something I said. I, it's funny because I didn't plan on being an advocate for this life and it just happened really organically. And so I, I've, I've done hundreds of interviews and I, I was started doing them when I had 
only three kids and I was pregnant with my fourth. And so there was a lot of interruptions, but I would make time <laughs> to do the interviews. But I knew that if my kids needed me, that, well, you know, it's funny. I didn't know at first that it would be modeling something for the people listening. But later I found out that people were kind of impressed with that. So I'm like, ooh, that takes the pressure off. I could just tell people that now. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, my kids have always been part of my advocacy also. And I think people enjoy people's kids coming in sometimes and seeing how they interact with them because the stress of trying to keep your kids quiet all the time is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, I learned that through being a La Leche League leader and part of our training was that everybody's needs matter and the needs of your kids come first mm -hmm. during anything we're doing. And so if you have to step away, if you have to mute, if you have to pause what you're doing, it's the most important. So I like to set that standard for people. So anybody listening today, if your kids need you, if you need to step away, if they come up to the computer, up to the camera, no stress, we get it. Yeah. And that's huge because you were just living that life. So you were just saying what you were saying, but for some of us that are caught in our programming still, uh, for me at that time, it was a huge awakening of like, is it that easy? Oh, it's that easy. I can actually dictate the standard of how I speak to my kids in front of anyone at any time, which is monumental as a paradigm shift for somebody who's still in the programming of people pleasing and the authoritative paradigm and kids should be seen and not heard and all of the things that we've been conditioned to believe. Yes, for sure. And I think that our biggest advocacy for this life is living it and, and living it authentically and sharing it without having to hide anything or, or pause life. And so I'm sure you've seen much like I have Tasha that our, our lives with our children are intertwined and not separate from our lives with everything else we're doing. And so it takes the pressure off and it can be done. It's so true. And when you do that, you give other people the permission. It's such a beautiful <laughs> gift, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that helped you back then. Yeah, it sure did. We've come a long way, haven't we? Oh, yes. So, <laughs> so let's, I'm, I'm really eager to get into the then and the now, because obviously I, you probably did not see the revolution of unschooling, although you've written about it years and years ago. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know if you anticipated it to be this big, this fast, this soon or in your lifetime. But tell us a little bit about your story for viewers, especially there just meeting you for the first time about what, how you fell into unschooling and that day that you had Devin and, and, and kind of the conclusions that you came to. Sure. So when I was pregnant with my first child, uh, 26 years ago, I knew I wanted a natural birth, but I didn't know anyone in my life that had had one. So I did some research and I had just got the internet, which was not very big at that time. And I ordered a book called Natural Childbirth, The Bradley Way. And I remember reading it and it was the first time I had ever even seen a picture of a woman giving birth and it blew my mind. And I realized that it was really beneficial for babies to be born naturally. And I really, really wanted to do that. Well, I hired a midwife who worked in a hospital at the time. And um, I had a wonderful natural birth with him. It was four hours long from start to finish. And I couldn't believe when I was holding him for the first time, I, I couldn't believe this being was inside of me. And so I was holding him and it was probably within an hour or so of giving birth to him. The nurses rushed in the room 
and they turned on the TV and said, something's happening, something's happening. And everybody ran to this little TV that was next to the bed. And it was the Columbine shootings happening live. Now, it was a horrific thing <clears throat> to see, especially where I was having all these elated emotions, holding my newborn and, and everybody was just glued to the TV. And you were seeing children jump out of windows and parents screaming and they were, I had never seen anything like that live. And it was really, really scary. And so I had such an intense emotional reaction to it. And I remember thinking while I was seeing it, how many of those parents and children wanted to be together that day, that morning, but didn't know that they could and put the put school before their own needs and how many of those kids would have been rather doing something else that day and it was then and there that I decided right in that moment that my kids would always have the choice to go to school or not so I didn't say to myself they're never going there I don't want them to be hurt it wasn't a decision made in fear and I think that's a really important part of the story because it wasn't a reactive decision made in fear it's when I realized that children's rights were one of the most overlooked things in our culture. And so my children, everything spun off from, from there for me. Um, and, you know, my kids have always had the choice to go to school or not. They have never been forbidden. However, my kids would always choose freedom and, and being home and out in their community and doing things they love over being in school. That's what they've chosen. And I'm really grateful that they have, especially now. I mean, schools 25 years ago weren't like they are now. So I'm even more grateful. There's times I say to myself, like, I can't even believe that three of them are adults already. And one is turning 16 this week. It's like, I did it. Oh my gosh, I did it. I had all the controversy, all the people pushing up against me, all I had to go through to, to live this life. And I did it. And it's, I will never, ever regret this decision. I regret a lot in my life, <laughs> but never, ever how I've chosen to parent them. And so what we've done is something really different than traditional homeschooling. And so it, it, it's quite a journey because everybody in our area where uh, my kids grew up, we lived in New Hampshire in the White Mountains. We're in Miami now. We moved here four years ago. But prior to that, we lived in a small town and there were other homeschoolers, but they were all homeschooling for religious reasons and all doing a curriculum and all the parents were extremely strict and they were homeschooling, most of which were homeschooling to kind of keep their kids away from society and keep them in their bubble of their ideals. And I understand that, but we were the only unschoolers that showed up to homeschooling functions. And I think that people thought we were kind of, we were kind of rebels in that space and thought of as like the crazy family. So not only were we not doing school, but even the homeschooling groups we didn't fit into at the time. There was nobody else I knew that was unschooling. And what I'll share more in this, in this talk is that radical unschooling is the philosophy that I promote. And radical unschooling is an extension of attachment parenting. It's the same continuum, the same philosophy, but you extend it in the same way that we've always <clears throat> met our children's needs from infancy and never forced them against their will to do certain things, to do anything really. <laughs> The only time we ever did was during when they got bit by a skunk and they needed a rabies shot. But even then, it wasn't a terrible experience for them. Um, life or death situations are different. <laughs> but so we've always just parented this way. And I ended up falling into, became a childbirth teacher, a leadership leader, a doula, midwife, 
And it was probably, I don't know, 18 years ago, somebody posted in a Yahoo group. So this is before Facebook. Do you guys remember life before Facebook? <laughs> it's hard to remember. Barely. <laughs> but somebody posted in the Yahoo group, um, Dr. Phil is looking for homeschoolers for the show. And I said, I'll just fill it out for fun. What the heck? You know, and I filled out the form and I wrote that we were radical unschoolers and the philosophy. And I jokingly said to my son, I said, when Dr. Phil calls, just so you know, we're, we're going to go on the show. Didn't think of it again. In a million years did I think we'd go on that show. But a month later, they did call. And within 24 hours, they were at our house filming. And we were flown out to LA, me and the kids, and we were on the show, like the guests on the show speaking about this life. I was so nervous. Oh my gosh. Because this philosophy, as you'll learn, if you haven't already, it makes sense. And the philosophy is so powerful. And there's something inside yourself when you hear it that feels like truth, but it's very hard to articulate. <laughs> it's a hard <laughs> philosophy to articulate. And so I didn't do the best job ever on stage with him, but I did it. I said, yes. And I advocated and I shared. Well, that led to many, many different things um, down the road. It's been, like I said, I don't know, 16, 17 years. And we've been on Oh my gosh, Nightline, Fox News. We've been on the show Wife Swap. We were filmed for a couple of different reality shows. We were flown all over the world. And our family kind of became the poster family for radical unschooling. We even had a YouTube channel for three years with Disney, with Maker Disney, which I know Disney, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, but we were the only, we were the first ever family to promote anything like that. My, I had the first uh, video on YouTube about unschooling about 18 years ago when YouTube first came out or anyone that spoke about parenting, it was the first parenting video ever on YouTube, including unschooling. So my history goes way back and um, it's taken a long time to get here. And a few years ago, I decided to train other people to be doing what I'm doing. And that's how Tasha and I met. And I have to say, I won't tell anybody else this, but Tasha was my star <laughs> protege. <laughs> Clicked, oh, uh, we clicked instantly and every week I so looked forward to connecting with her because of her passion and excitement and I was like she's like me there's somebody like me finally because <laughs> you now we're a little we're very ambitious when it comes to getting this word out so yeah here, but I'll, I'll allow you to speak no, no I I love it I love the story and <laughs> There's so much to it. And, you know, when I, when I got into your work, when I met you, I, it's exactly the feeling I had was I could just feel the freedom. I could just sense the truth. I didn't know how I was going to get there, you know, and that's why this work is so important. And I'm so lit up about this work because it changed my entire life, my paradigm, how I view children, how I see the world, how I advocate, how I, my connection with my children. And for me, waking up in this time, you know, it's it was so different in the term in the sense that um, how you said radical unschooling is an extension of attachment parenting. I did the Bradley method. I was awake to some things. I didn't vaccinate my kids, uh, but I kept all of that under the radar. You know, I didn't really have the um, courage in my earlier years to speak about those things because I could already feel the, you know, dismissal and the backlash. And so I just kept quiet. Never in my life did I think I'd be speaking about these controversial, controversial issues, <laughs> natural childbirth and uh, unschooling or the vaccines or anything like that. But it just kind of happens that way. But when I realized the magic, when I started to apply some of the knowledge that you graciously bestowed to me, 
And you would say, just wait, just give it time, just give it time, you know? And I'd be like hanging on for dear, I don't know. Cause it's a very different experience for people who have been doing attachment parenting their whole life. And, you know, I love to call them my beautiful granola mamas, you know, who have just been like going on a peaceful rate from day one compared to someone who I would have considered myself. I like to say a matrix mommy, not fully. I was awake and aware to a few agendas, but really, you know, when my kids were like, can I stay home? Uh, can you homeschool us? Which they had asked me when they would miss the bus. I'd be like, no, get on that bus. I'll drive you to school because I had to work and I was doing things and blah, 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 blah. And so for me, I had to have a huge radical paradigm shift. COVID was what brought that on for me, turned my world upside down, big spiritual awakening, all the epiphanies. And so what was coming out from you was so true. It was just, you were the lighthouse in that dark time where I was like, could this actually be true? Because they didn't want to do the curriculum. They did it at school because they have to, right? And they love us so much because we're their mom that they show us how they really feel. I didn't understand that at the time. I took offense to it. How can they know they don't want to do this work with me? It's only going to be two or three hours. And then really it was like, what? They can actually learn and we can live harmoniously with our children. Do you remember the day that I said that? I, I, I swear I called you and said, is it? is this true? Do I have permission to do this? Like yeah, I, I live harmoniously with our kids and we'll actually be okay. And they're going to learn and education is a byproduct. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. A lot of people say that kind of thing to me where, where they're, they'll call me and say, if I've had like a coaching session with them, they'll say something feels so weird. Is it supposed to feel this peaceful and good? Is it supposed to feel like this? Like we almost have guilt for parenting when we're not in a space of struggle or control or pushing and guiding constantly just to allow it all to, just to be together. People feel some, somewhat uncomfortable in that space because it's unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. And I always tell them that, yes, it's supposed to feel like this. Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed yeah. to feel like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you don't really know the type of stress that you're under as a parent or the matrix that you're running or the outside expectations of the institution and the teachers and the programming. And you're just running, you know, it's like we, we come out of the womb and there's someone's got an agenda for us, you know? It's like, okay. And now it's even younger and younger. I mean, now they're doing the $10 day daycare up here in Canada. They want the kids, you know, before three in France, we have one of our mamas in this community that's from France. And she was saying that in France, homeschooling is illegal. So you have to ask permission and they're saying no to everyone right now. And they want your kids in the institutions before the age of three and completely vaccinated like France, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bad. In Germany, it's illegal. Um, mm -hmm. Ireland. Yeah, I spoke in China, which was kind of scary and intense at the time, right before COVID, actually a couple months before. And when I was going there, I had a couple of people that hired me to come speak. And it was this big underground event. And they said, when you come here, do not say why you're here. And I'm like, why? And they said, you will go to jail. I'm like, oh my God, wow. It was the most intense experience, but it was one of the most rewarding. And the families there were so receptive. So people all over the world are living this life. I was, you know, we had a, a room full, there must have been over 100 Chinese families, parents there to learn about radical unschooling specifically. So the world is waking up and ready for this philosophical perspective. And it seems like the countries where it's illegal, people are really wanting it more. Yeah, that's what that's what controlled us. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the way. Yeah. Same thing with Costa Rica, too. Like I know up here in in commie Canada when everything was going crazy a lot of people moved to Costa Rica 
And then they left Costa Rica because homeschooling is illegal. So it's just, yeah, yeah that was one of the things that shocked me the most. So yeah. um, moving back to the Columbine issue, okay, that's extremely traumatic, but you said something important. You didn't make the decision from a place of fear. You know, I quite feel the opposite. It wasn't necessarily a place of empowerment until I found you and started applying the philosophy and diving deep. But, you know, a lot of people are leaving the system right now out of just, you know, pure fear, fear or or dismay <laughs> at what they're watching unravel. How do you see when you say like, what, what are you aware of that's going on in the school system right now compared to when your children were little? Well, the whole trans agenda stuff, you know, that none of that was around then. Just it just seems really dark now with what's being pushed. I think, I mean, governments have always had an agenda. That's why schools were created. But the agenda and the the purpose of them are, are even darker. You know, the darkness just kind of taking over the world is I'm so glad that I got my kids out and they never went and weren't part of that. So it is kind of hard to get kids out once they're in that system. Um, but yeah, I mean, I try to focus on, you know, I'm really glad that you and I advocate from the position we do, because when we come together, we can share our own, like, focus on this philosophy and this life. And I think you're much better at articulating about what's going on in schools where I don't really focus on that as much. So mm -hmm. I, I think, I mean, gosh, even in hospitals right now, what's going on with birth is just as dark. You know, we work so hard as, as advocates, uh, birth workers and to, to shift things and COVID just clamped everything down harder, you know, everything and making home birth illegal. And so, I mean, most institutions are pretty, <laughs> pretty bad with our agenda. It's true. Yeah. Is, is home birth illegal in, uh... in a lot of, in a lot of States? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. No, for sure. The agendas are there. And I mean, you, why would you go searching deep? You know, you've had your kids out of the system. You haven't even had to deal with that. They've never actually gone to school. Have they? No, I mean, and I've been doing this for so long back when I, and to me, this has been going on for so, for so long anyway, that I, I'd like to focus on what I do instead of school um, and kind of turn away from that, from the darkness in that way, instead of pushing up against it or fighting up against it. I really love that people have, and my mentor and a really good friend of mine, uh, John Taylor Gatto, um, he's the one that encouraged me to write my first book. Um, he used to call me every night at nine at night. He wouldn't use a computer and he'd call me and I'd have little kids running around and he'd say, you've got to write your book. You've got to write your book. He was somebody that was deep in the trenches of the you know, education system. He was New York City Teacher of the Year for four years in a row. And, and he wrote the book of Mac, uh, excuse me, um, <clears throat> Dumbing Us Down. I don't mm -hmm. know if anyone's ever heard of it, but you know that was way back when. So mm -hmm. the agenda of school is obedience and compliance overall. Mm -hmm. The way that they're pushing all of that is it varies from decade to decade, but I don't want my children to have obedience training or behavior modification. That's not my role in their lives. And I don't want anybody else in that role. And so, yeah, I know uh, there's a lot of alternatives to public school, but they still have their own agendas and it's still in the authoritarian paradigm. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see Jesse's camera. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> You got a big bird there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, John Taylor Gatto, um, weapons of mass instruction is another good one. Uh, you know, it's 
it's great if you can handle sitting with the darkness. I mean, you do have to come up for air with the rabbit holes, but to have somebody who was so entrenched in the system explain and historically how the Prussian model came to be and to be actually to apologize for any harm that he had done or committed in the 30 years that he was in that institution and put it all together for us. I mean, just another lighthouse. He did yeah. some amazing work, but yeah, it, it is dark. Um, and I love that you're, you focus on what you're doing instead. And, and for me, um, I'm okay fighting the dark for a while. You know, it does get exhausting after a while. And then I've got to like build a community or do something <laughs> or like pair up yes. with you or do something <laughs> with someone and do more light work. But I, I feel like it's really important because parents need to kind of, I did anyway, go down those rabbit holes to really put it together, to really feel confident in the decision that they're making. Cause it's so big. A lot of people have to go down to one income. You know, we had to downsize our home. There's so many decisions that it rises on. So when people can put those dark agendas together and see the magnitude of what's happening to understand that this is a real attack. I mean, not just the trans agenda, we've got critical race theory. We've got this yeah. climate hysteria that they're imposing on our children. Um, there's so many you know, uh, one of the unschooled kids that I dropped, just dropped my boys off to, he said, I told my home educator that um, I don't need to go to an institution. He's 14. He says, because I have knowledge at my fingertips if I have a library. All the schools, all the institutions do is teach ideology, <laughs> you know, and um, and he's right. And when you start to look at the work and you start to look at the product, these poor children that are coming out, a lot of them already suffering with some kind of disability or are on the autism spectrum that are attracted to this gender transitioning, you know, it's, it's an absolute shame. It's, it's a pharmaceutical and political agenda at best, you know? Yeah. I think if this was all happening when my kids were born, I probably would have dove really deep into it because I was deep into, you know, the problems of pub public education when I first started. I think that's a really important part of the journey. We have to realize the history of why things came to be to make different decisions. So I did the same with my birth work. But where I've been doing this for over two decades at this point, like I just don't even really think about it. I, I love going to your pages, though. I love reading about it. And I'm always blown away. <laughs> well, it was funny because I, I was talking to my kids and I said, have you guys heard of critical race theory? So so we are so far removed from it. My kids had never even heard of it. What is that? And I said, let's watch some videos and find out what kids are learning in school. And um, of course, the trans stuff you do hear, you know, a lot of and so we have conversations and discussions about it, but we hadn't, my kids hadn't even heard of what that was. And so mm -hmm. we had a discussion mm -hmm. about it as a family. Like, what do you think about that? And they were like, Ooh, that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> you know, that well, sounds a little bit strange to be pushed on kids as like the truth. And so we, our families learned a lot about these things through discussions and me bringing it up, not because I think they should know, but because I'm intrigued and we're just together a lot. So these things come up. Well, and it's so interesting because even my kids, they've been out for four years and I'm just having conversations with them now, um, you know, about the agendas because they're kind of old enough to understand age appropriately. But even them, they kind of missed the rapid fire that started back at COVID. And there was a teacher that just recently, well, she left during COVID and she said that the triad between parent teacher and child was broken during COVID. And she was a, she was a teacher at a BC and she said, 
if parents knew what was coming up on the walls when the doors were locked, like imagine it's not that long ago, you weren't allowed to go into school to see your kid. You were yeah. not physically allowed to open the doors and go in the schools. And this is where they were putting the vaccine clinics. I mean, it's insane. Insane. And at that time, she said, that's when all of the rainbow stuff and listen again, disclaimer, I love my gay friends. They love me. We know that it's nothing about that. This is a completely different agenda that's hiding behind this rainbow kind of symbolism and pushing it as though, because we're concerned that we're, you know, bigots or transphobes or, or um, homophobic, which couldn't be further from the truth. Right. But it is really important, even myself, that we come up for air and that we do what we were designed to do on this planet is co-create with God. You know, I believe like we're, we're their creation and we're here to create and that's what feels the best. And so, you know, doing that work coming out of that space is just, um, it's like a, being in a cocoon and turning into a butterfly and what a change it was. So can you chat with us a little bit more about the authoritative paradigm? I know you love to talk about the philosophy. I, I address it kind of slightly, but it, it, like explain to us a little bit more when, when people talk about the authoritative paradigm, because sometimes it's like a fish living in water versus the, the peaceful parenting approach. Sure. Well, 99% of parenting books on the market or advice given from family and friends about parenting is coming from the authoritarian paradigm. And that's the focus on behavior modification, obedience, compliance, and above all else, meeting the parents' needs only. The parents' needs for quiet, uninterrupted sleep, and for the child to be good, and to train their child. It's really similar to the to dog training in a lot of ways. It's, I mean, no disrespect, but it's the same kind of approach. And it's interesting because a lot of people think that what I'm doing is so crazy, but it's because they don't know what to do instead of the authoritarian paradigm. So they make a lot of assumptions. So what we're doing is living in a partnership-based paradigm. And that's when we focus on the needs of everybody in the family equally, not just the parents' needs. So my role isn't my child's trainer or their teacher. Um, I'm focusing on their needs under their behavior when they're little, not the behavior. Because when you focus on the needs under the behavior, the behavior does change when those needs are met or you know, it's it's coming together and, and respecting their needs. So it's a very different shift to make when you're parenting. And it's how, how attachment parenting, the premise of attachment parenting, holding a baby when they want to be held, feed them when they want to nurse them, whenever they want to nurse, co-sleeping, you know, whatever was really real. Oh my gosh, it was so radical, guys, 25 years ago. So radical. And one thing I love is that how much more accepted that is. If I go on social media, I see so many people. I mean, there was nobody talking about this. It was like one little corner of the internet, Mothering Magazine had a message board. That's where it was discussed. And I got a, a really hard time for holding my baby a lot and, and co-sleeping especially. That was like a big, crazy thing back in the day. Now there's like co-sleepers. There's, there's bassinets that attach to the bed. I mean, I, I can't even believe it. I'm so grateful with the evolution of people moving toward a more peaceful dynamic, and I've seen it happen. And so partnership parenting is an extension of attachment parenting and radical unschooling is doing the same thing you've done since your babies were born, trusting them, being with them, facilitating their learning based on their interests. And so I don't, I'm never in a situation where I've ever punished my children. They've never been punished. They've never been grounded. 
In fact, it was funny a couple of years ago, my son heard something that was being said and he's like, what does grounded mean? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, that's when you take off your shoes and socks and stand outside. On the ground. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they had no concept of that. Now, isn't it funny when people first hear that? And even me, if you would have told me 30 years ago or whatever, if a child wasn't punished, I would have just imagined total ready chaos, craziness, mean kids. Like my assumption is the understanding. My assumption then is the understanding I bring to parents now. So people just don't know what to do instead of control punishments, you know, rewards and all these things. So I like to be able to fill in the blanks of what to do instead. So my kids have never been punished. They've never done a workbook page. They've never done any formal schoolwork. It's not crazy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yet they're happy, successful, living lives that they love. And it's entirely possible. So I'm so happy to answer any questions you guys have about it. I'm sure there might be a few, but we can get to that whenever Tosh is ready. Yeah. Well, I just want to say, okay, the, what's amazing. And sometimes in this container, I have had a couple interviews with some unschoolers who are now adults. And this is what a lot of us who are coming out of our slumber had the abrupt awakening in 2020 with COVID or maybe a few years earlier we're all future tripping. I'm not anymore, but I was, and I can relate to everyone who is, oh my gosh, am I going to ruin their life? Am I, what if they were, what if they resent me? What if they don't get into university? What if they don't do this? I mean, it's just so much guilt, so much fear, so much anxiety. And, you know, I remember when I first met Devin and was listening to him speak and he was talking about how his job at the hardware store was coming from a place of genuine interest. And he said kids his age that are working with him are usually on their phone and they're just trying, they just can't wait till the shift ends and they just want out of there, right? It's just a job. And for him, he did it because he's always had choice and freedom. So he's going, he's taking responsibility for what he wants to do. So there he is working. And of course they hire him to be the manager down the road. Within two months. Was, within, within two within months. Two months. And then he was apprenticing as an electrician with somebody. And, if, yeah. you know, so, I mean, just dramatic in, in, in terms of maturity and having responsibility and taking charge of his own life because he's had the freedom to do so and been empowered to have freedom of choice, really. Yeah, and it's also about the conditioning that didn't happen with him. So kids in school are really conditioned to do the least amount possible to get by and pass. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they don't want to be there well mm-hmm. you know if they were there if they wanted to be there it would be different but most don't and so that is a real conditioning that stays with people sometimes their whole lives to do the minimum when the teacher's not looking you do what you want you pass notes people leave school and enter jobs with that same mindset looking at the clock the whole time they're they're conditioned to live a mundane life doing things they don't want to do that's what school does mm-hmm. so obviously Devin started to see that with kids his age. He was like, why are they here? They're, they don't like it. They don't do the work. The second the boss leaves, they're not even helping me. Like I'm get, he's like, I'm getting paid to do something. They're getting paid. Why aren't they doing something? Like it was just this foreign concept to him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I see this even today with my, with my other kids, my daughter, Ivy is in the same situation. Um, she's working part-time and she's like, was promoted to sales, sales girl within three weeks, the youngest employee. And she's like, I don't know, mom, I'm just doing what they're paying me for. It's nothing extraordinary. I'm just, they're paying me for something. So I'm doing it, but nobody else is doing it. So 
you know, there's a lot that I'm learning now that they're adults, because a lot of this, my, my life was based in trust, trust in them, trust in this philosophy. But now I'm actually seeing it going like, wow, there really is deep conditioning of, of humans when it comes to work ethic. You know, when it comes to just accepting jobs that you hate, doing things you hate, living a miserable life. And I think that that is a really big, important thing. I mean, as far as school subjects goes, your kids are going to learn whatever they need to learn as they need to learn it. It's not very difficult. I know no. it's your condition to think that this is so difficult that you need to prep teachers to like do all these, you know, cover all these subjects. So your kids are covered in case they need it. Learning is easy. It's like breathing when it's not forced and your kids will learn whatever they need to learn as they go. My kids don't have like any holes in their education at all. Right. It was all a lie that was told to me. And I always somehow trusted them and trusted this journey, even though there wasn't a lot of people that came before me. Maybe that's why it was my purpose. I was meant to help people with this, but my kids are the most well, so like socially adjusted, ambitious, happy people. And it was easy. It was easy and fun. (laughs) And, and didn't Ivy, uh, do the, the, the math course in six weeks from K to 12 and she wanted Mm -hmm. to be a veterinarian and she's been taking care of all these guinea pigs. It was only, it it was only took her like three weeks actually. Yeah. So just for viewers who are listening, just put that into concept, repeat three weeks. to. Well, this this is an interesting story because it continues from where, what, you know, so I'll add to it and you'll be surprised to hear this. So Ivy wanted to go to college. She said when she was 15, I want to be a veterinarian. And I said, okay, well, let's figure out what you have to do to become a veterinarian. (laughs) And so she was internally motivated to do whatever she needed to do to become a vet. She's loved animals her whole life. So we researched, we found out that she needs to, in order to get into college to be a vet, she needs to learn certain things and to, to graduate. And I could graduate her. And in order to pass the exams to get into college, she had to learn math. She she was very good at writing, but she wasn't very, didn't have very good handwriting. So she really practiced that to take her own notes, not to show anybody. And she really needed to know math and she had learned math just through living life, but she learned everything she needed to know 12 years, you know, of the things that she didn't know within three weeks, um, got into college, started the program to become a vet, the early classes in that once she was in it, she realized, wow, this is just money. They just want, they're pushing liability. They're pushing money. This is like an institution in itself. And I don't want to do this. So she stopped and she wants to be like a holistic practitioner. And so she's going in a different direction, but it was, um, it was not hard for her to learn what she needed to learn because when, when children are ready to learn something, because they're internally motivated to have a career or to do something they want to do, they learn it quickly and easily, especially when they're older. So there were some studies that showed that a 17-year-old can learn an entire career of math in a matter of six weeks, but Ivy was only 15 and she learned it in three weeks. And it was a little bit challenging for her sometimes. She called Devin, her brother, because Devin's really good with numbers and and he helped her work out a few things. And she it wasn't like she was cramming like morning, noon, and night. She was just doing it for a couple hours during the day. And she really liked it. She's like, wow, this is kind of fun. I like doing this. And she sailed through it. And I'm thinking to myself, my daughter, I'm so grateful she didn't have to spend 12 years in school to learn what she did in three weeks. That like how crazy incredible. is that, guys? Like a whole childhood taken from kids when they're when their brains are emotionally when when they're emotionally ready and their brains are developmentally ready, they learn 
all of that in a matter of weeks or months. I mean, I'm so grateful that <laughs> just to have It's incredible. When you have the paradigm shift and you realize this entire structure is meant to take your kids away from you for the best hours of the day, the best days of the week and the best years of their life. Like yes. they, there, there's a stat out there that says, you know, by the time that your kid is 12, you'll have spent 75% of all the time you'll ever spend with them. By the time they're 18, it's like 20% or, or 90% of all the time you'll ever spend with them. And I mean, that that's their, their time. I remember the entire structure is like that. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So before I, um, I let the viewers go on the podcast and we open it up to our live Q and a here in our community, I just want to give you kind of the last word and maybe ask you to you know, share on, on what advice you would give to parents who are newly waking up to all of, all of the agendas, wanting to pull their kids, but they're terrified to do so, or don't feel they're confident or all of the fears and anxieties. What would you say to new parents? I would say the best thing you can do is connect with community, other people that are doing this to see that there's another whole way to be. You need to kind of immerse yourself and read stories and unschooling comes really easy and naturally to kids. It's the parents that need to learn to trust themselves more than anything. I mean, parents can trust their kids to a certain degree, I think, but trusting themselves is another whole thing because you weren't trusted as children. None of you probably were. And so you never had that modeled for you. And so when we become parents, it's hard for us to trust ourselves and, and to, to heal from the things that we kind of, you know, went through as a side effect of being raised the way we were. So it would be to find community, to do some reading. There's a lot of books out there about it. Um, join Tasha's community. If you're, I know you're part of it here, but continue that because it's so important to just listen, to see real people doing this. And we're not like, we're like normal people. You know, a lot of people think, <laughs> they think that we're like these crazy radicals. We are in society's eyes, but to me, this is the most natural way to live. Mm -hmm. this is natural. This is the way we'd all be parenting if we were alone on a deserted island and no, had no cultural influence. This would come natural to us. Parenting would be joyful. It would be, learning would be natural. And so it's a matter of stepping back from that and saying, you know, what is more damaging? 100%. Yeah, 100%. So true. Well, and you can also, um, Dana is an author of three books. She's got Radical Unschooling, the Joining the Revolution and Raising Rebels. And I'll attach that in the show notes of the podcast. And she's got her own community coming up and lots going on. So I'll put all that information for people to connect with her. So thank you, Dana. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you to our viewers on the Unschooling the Mind podcast. And I am going to say goodbye for now. Thank you so much, friends. If you like the content that I am producing amongst a sea of censorship, please like, review, and share. If you are looking for support to pull your kids from the system and start your own Unschooling the Mind journey with an international online community of like-minded souls who are doing the same thing as you, head over to my website at tashafishman.com for all the details. To create strong communities right where you are, it starts with you. Thank you. Clear eyes, open heart, can't lose. See you next time.